right, everybody, welcome to Pencil In. My name is Jacob Pencil, your host. Um, this is a sports business series focused on the past, present, and future of the industry. I'm here with Marcus Collins. He is a lecturer at the University of Michigan Raw School of Business, ad age and cranes 40 under 40, a tremendous achievement. He's a master marketer, having spent time with State Farm, having run campaigns for the Brooklyn Nets, and working with blue chip companies like McDonald's, Anheuser InBev, and Google, if you guys know those few. So Marcus, just want to introduce you and how are you today? I'm doing quite well, man. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for this. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm excited as well. So um, just to jump right in, I mean, you have a lot of experience in social media, digital marketing, and just branding in general. I'm very curious how you got into that field. And if you could just take us through like a little bit of your career path, and um, what you've done so far, I mean, that'd be great to hear. Sure. It was quite serendipitous. I didn't have any intention on being a marketer. Definitely have any intention on being um, in, the, in the academic world. I studied engineering undergrad, which I didn't love, uh, but I'm glad I did it. And coming out of undergrad, I went straight to the music industry. Uh, I did a, a startup that was successful for a moment. I say successful relatively, but it was, we, we were doing pretty well until we weren't, thanks to uh, the disruption that happened in music that we all know as digital. Um, and as a result, uh, my business unwound, as they say, <laughs> right? Things, uh, things weren't going so great. So I went to business school to figure it out. Um, and this is kind of what led me to digital as a, a, a space of interest. And of all the different disciplines within the world of business, I thought advertising was the most creative or marketing rather was the most creative. So I went into marketing and found my way, sort of stumbled into advertising and then stumbled into the world of, of academia. So I suppose like most of this is, is serendipitous, but you know, they say that, you know, you don't choose your path. Sometimes your path chooses you. And that's kind of how I feel now. Um, so since, since, you know, getting my MBA, um, I, I went to go work at Apple, doing partner marketing at iTunes, uh, moved to New York, ran digital strategy for Beyonce, which was pretty dope, um, and then went into the world of advertising, where I got a chance to work with some like really big brands that were uh, at one time very significant or iconic in some cases, um, and other ones that just needed uh, to pour some gasoline on the cultural relevance and impact they already had from you know, launching Cliff Paw for State Farm, uh, moving the New Jersey Nets to Brooklyn to become the Brooklyn Nets, so launching a Brooklyn, Knight, Brooklyn Nets, sorry, uh, to launch uh, an NBA franchise, which you don't get a chance to do very, very much. Um, launch a Bud Light Platinum, a new product under the, the Bud Light moniker. Um, launching Maine American Music Festival. How did you get a chance to launch a music festival? Uh, you know, these, these, you know, to me, you know, these really iconic things that, that really changed my perspective in that as a marketer and advertiser, like, I'm not interested in making ads. I'm interested in creating cultural product, right? Putting things in the world that impact what we believe, the artifacts that have meaning, the behaviors that we take on, and the language that we use. And I've been very fortunate to do that with, with a lot of brands. Yeah, I mean, you gave us a lot to chew on there, and I'm definitely going to touch on some of those accomplishments and specific uh, brand activations and rollouts you've done. Like you said, you're really interested in the cultural moments, and advertising has changed from a, 
a place where you maybe put a talent or a celebrity, having them hold up a product and that was it. So it digs a lot deeper now. So from more of like a scientific, like human level, like what are some of the things that you look at in terms of branding and, and really engaging with the consumer in a way that's beyond kind of just, you know, that, that thing you'll see like on a billboard or, or slapped up in a stadium signage. So what I've learned from the behavioral sciences, my own work as a practitioner and my own research um, in the, in the field of, of cultural consumption or consumer culture theory is that, you know, we are social animals, right? Man by nature is a social animal, as Aristotle uh, famously said. We're social animals, um, so we do everything we can to connect, to crash into to, to each other, to our people. Um, and if man by nature is a social animal, the operating system that governs man in these social institutions is culture, right? Which means that culture is a really powerful vehicle uh, that we should be thinking about and leaning into when it comes to how do we get people to take action, to adopt behavior, which is what marketers do anyway. It's supposed to do, get people to adopt, adopt behavior. So what I lean into from a practice perspective is how do I, how does culture manifest within these collectives, these collectives that I call networks? Like how does culture manifest, um, uh, a, evolve and and become uh become currency within these groups of people um in such a way that they act in a predictable fashion and understanding these cultural characteristics that is getting radically radically close to them and you know unbelievably uh close in proximity to them helps us better understand them because we can observe them we can in some cases we can experience them and if we understand the dynamics of the network that is the cultural characteristics of the network, and we understand the, 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 the conditions and context of the environment, then we can pull at the conditions of the environment to get people to adopt behavior. Why? Because our people are unbelievably influential, especially those who subscribe to the same cultures that we do, and the environment that we find ourselves in are extremely influential as well. The combination of the two increases the likelihood that people will adopt behavior if designed accordingly. I mean, it's certainly a combination that right now is more ingrained than ever. Um, I mean, just speaking kind of personally, like the mix you see between sports and culture, music and culture, it's just really those things are a representation of culture. Um, and I know one thing that you've touched on in the past and, and you spoke a little bit on it there is like, as a brand marketer, your opinion on kind of looking at a niche market and then turning something mainstream because i know a lot of a lot of brand activations or, or just branding may may start off as kind of a place where many may not identify with it and then later on the whole entire world is doing that dance or, or whatever it may right. be i mean the, the thing about niche and mainstream is that we typically think about niche with regards to its size that it's small Oh, it's too small. No waste of time there. It's a niche market. You know, there's not enough money there. But to your point, the niche, depending on the right niche, right? That is, and by niche, we mean there is a specific set of needs, specific set of jobs to be done, whether it's a functional job, emotional job, or social job that unites these people, unites this segment, right? That's what a niche is. It just happened to be small because of how specific 
the and peculiar uh, the characteristics are, the need is, or the thing that unites them is. But for particular networks, these networks aren't just small, but they are the tip of the spear. Like they are the small spark that sets the forest af ablaze. And if you want to be able to set the force ablaze, you need to understand those subcultures, right? Those niche, those niche networks that are going to be the catalyst for what everyone is going to do. So we may say, well, let's, you know, like that's too small. It's not mainstream enough. And I'd say, well, if you pay attention to those guys, that's going to tell you what will be mainstream because mainstream is going to adopt what is cool or what is acceptable what is legitimated but those things are negotiated and they're started at the tip of the spear for these like niche subcultures the, these networks right so what i would further tell brand marketers is that listen if you want to know what's going to happen watch them and the important part to know as you think about what you do as marketers is that brands that lead culture are more successful than those that follow. That is brands that contribute to the beliefs, the artifacts, the behaviors, the language that contribute to them, that push them forward. Those are the ones that are most successful and those who just kind of catch on or try to jump on a trend. And focusing on the mainstream is jumping on trends, jumping on what's already normal instead of being at the tip of the spear if not contributing there, but guiding it, leading it where it, where it ought to go. That's where, the, I think that's where the, the, the best opportunity exists. And we think about this when it comes to sport. Like we love sport, not just because of the, the play of the game, but because of how we self-identify. I am a Pistons fan. And I grew up in the bad boy era where they were our mortal enemies, right? And like, I couldn't even wear a pair of Jordans. Yeah. So I'm like, no, Ugh, are you kidding me? Like, no, that that'd be that would be sacrilegious to to the bad boys, to Zeke, right? Like, I never never do that. Like, I have since broadened my horizon. But the thing is, my identity was so tied to to those cultural characteristics that the idea of even touching, even giving props to Jordan Chicago Bulls was just sacrilegious. You don't you don't do that. And this is why culture becomes such a powerful marketing vehicle because the brands that we buy, that we adorn ourselves with, aren't just brands. They aren't just identifiers for a particular company or product or person or entity or organization. They are badges of identity. They are, they are receipts of who we are. And who we are is governed by what we believe, what has meaning, what we do and how we communicate our culture. It's, it's certainly a true case. I mean, more now than ever, I think um, you see brands take strong stances and, you know, sometimes they work out, sometimes a brand not taking a stance, for example, um, people have an, have an issue with that. So in your experience and, and just kind of what you've seen in, in just recent times and, and in general, the past couple of years, where it's been more respected for a brand to take a stance, like how important do you think that is? And why do you think that resonates um, with people and it's the risk of it potentially, if there is one, is yeah. worth the reward? We adorn ourselves with brands, iconography, 
that are that have meaning, we're looking for self-congruence, right? That is, I believe in a thing, and this brand is either a demonstration of that belief, some expression of that belief, um, but it definitely ties into who I am, how I want to self-project. The challenge is that when a brand believes in something that's antithetical to my beliefs, antithetical to my ideology, I askew that brand. Like, not even nothing to do with that. Like, no, right? Are you kidding me? Like, I, you think about when Colin Kaepernick did the, the, the Nike ad, people were like burning their Nikes. Why? Not because they didn't like Nike anymore, but because what they believed was out of sync or was not representative, representative of Colin Kaepernick and his beliefs. And they're like, well, I'm not going to wear Nikes because I don't want anybody to see a Nike on my chest and think that I believe that right? So with this in mind, <clears throat> the more the more visible we are, thanks to social networking platforms, where we are presenting ourselves, doing these identity projects to say who we are, there's brands all around us. And if that brand means something that is antithetical to what I believe, all those things that are tied up and associated with that brand is now transferred over to me. Ergo, when brands don't take a stand, I feel like, well, what do people perceive about me when I'm rocking that brand? The, 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 the consequence on the other side is that when a brand takes a, takes a stand that doesn't align to how I see myself, then I'm like, I'm not gonna rock that brand. That's the consequence. It's all a trade-off. If I tell you this, our identity drives what we do, our behavior. Right? We make sure that what we do is aligned with our identity. Therefore, from a consumption perspective, we are more inclined to buy with the things that are aligned with ourselves. And that, to me, I think is one of the most powerful parts about brand, especially iconic brand. The, the icon, iconography of the brand has meaning. And that meaning is congruent with how we see ourselves and how we want to be seen in the world. Therefore, there's just unbelievable opportunity for brands to stand. And I think that before long, people are going to be reserved um, and, and have more, more hesitation about brands who don't stand up for something, especially the more visible brands, because they don't want to run the risk of picking the wrong brand and say something about themselves that they didn't know that they were saying. Just want to thank everybody for tuning in. I hope you guys really enjoyed part one of my conversation with Marcus Collins. He's an absolute genius, and I just can't believe I didn't catch a class with him uh, while being on campus in Michigan. So part two will come out sometime next week. We're going to talk a bit about his work with the State Farm Cliff Paul campaign, an absolute iconic one if you follow the basketball space or just television in general. Uh, we'll talk about McDonald's collaboration with Travis Scott the impact of social media on brand activism. And lastly, he'll touch on some of the work he did with the Brooklyn Nets, uh, moving the team from New Jersey to Brooklyn and how they were able to accomplish uh, such an amazing job doing that. So thank you guys all so much and hopefully you guys all have a great weekend.